Alrighty, man. We're back for round two. Hour two with our guest, Vic Holyfield. Welcome. Thank you. This is your life. I appreciate the invitation. <laughs> this is your induction into the Hall of Fame. It's wonderful. The member of this NYPD MOS Hall of Fame. And you Mark, you, we spoke about this before. What's so good about this is that we're not on the job right now. So we could say whatever we want. That's right. You yeah. Know, yeah. We not, you could never, ever not, say whatever well, you want, whatever, Bill. whatever, but we're not censored the way we were when we were You could never, ever say... Right. We were just talking about this off air. <laughs> you could never say what you want. That's true. Um, this guy, you got to listen. We're but all talking in codes. We're talking in riddles nowadays, folks. Don't ever think that you can... No matter what position you get, the only people that can talk what, and say whatever they want is if you're really, really poor and you got nothing to lose or if you're really, really rich and you don't care. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing they can do to you. Uh, in if you're recording between there, be careful what you say, man. <laughs> They're very, very powerful, the words. You're right. But uh, as we left off in the first half of this, you were in the 30th Precinct that later became known as the Dirty 30. It was an active place. It was a real active shop. Uh, it was the type of place that if you made a mistake... Uh, no one really noticed because it was so active. You know, it was a real, a terrific place to to learn the trade. But you were infested right now. You don't know who's who because you got feds in there. We got two different uh, type of um, investigation investigation uh, investigative agencies working in there that have undercovers in there. Who are they? Well, I didn't at the time. You like, didn't know that, right? We didn't know. No, I didn't know that at the time. How long did it take before you found out how many there were in there, or at least a couple? Well, like everyone else, I heard you know through the news. You know. Oh, so it was uh, you, you found. But, I was oblivious. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say oblivious. You know, you, you walk in this situation sometimes and you realize this doesn't add up. <laughs> but uh, Well, because the department has a lot of situations that they try to, on minor stuff, they'll put something in the back seat of uh, a radio car, a, a cruiser. Sure. And they'll, um, and uh, you know, you're supposed to inspect your vehicle at the beginning of your tour and if you don't, and that doesn't, you know, you don't find that thing that they put in there, whatever it is, it could be rolling paper or whatever, you're supposed to voucher it, or maybe a wallet with some money in it. They're always doing these little um, integrity tests. Integrity yeah. tests. So uh, is that what you're saying? That it, some stuff didn't add up when you showed up at a scene? Sure. Uh, yeah. Easy. Well, they look too easy, right? Yeah, I remember one time I, uh, we, I responded to a report of shots fired and. Uh, I was probably the last car to get there. There was uh, six or seven cops already uh, up in the uh, apartment. And when I walked in, you could see the cloud of uh, uh, smoke from the gunpowder already sitting in the clouds. Wow. And the furniture was shot to hell. There was holes all over the, uh, the, the walls. And uh, I walked in. I looked at the cops, and I said, everyone all right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone's all right. All right. Let's go. Ninety-eight. <laughs> Resume patrol. So no, no one was hit. No, 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 no hits, no runs. Uh, no errors. I told like, do a sixty-one for the door. We're out of here. <laughs> so, they, but there, there were shots fired in that apartment. Yeah, yeah, and I suspect a couple of shots. The cops were firing, uh, fired the shots. Uh -huh. But uh, like I said, it was a different time, a different story, and. It was uh, it was a wild time. Did you what? find out what was going on there before you left uh, for anti crime or afterwards? No, no. I uh, I got uh, called for uh, street crime in. Uh, I went to street crime. In I mean, I said, man, street crime. Jan I went to street crime in March of '93, and uh, it didn't actually hit hit the fan uh, for another 
six, nine months at, after So that. The, the Dirty 30 still didn't get its name yet. Right, it hadn't. The investigation was ongoing, and That's you were correct. fortunate enough to get pulled out in the, Sounds like in the quarter of it, maybe That's in the middle of it. But Vic, let me let me ask you something. With the investigations like that, there had to be all kinds of rumors running rampant in the precinct. Because I know in cops they live by rumors, sure. you know, and whether they're true or not. So there had to be a certain unease working in the precinct that anyone you're working with could be wired or could be a, a IAB plant. Uh, wasn't that feeling there? I'll tell you what happened. One day, a detective by the name of Louis Torellis walks up to me. He was in the 3-0 squad, and uh, Louis and I were friends. And he says, listen, one of your cops, George Nova, he's dirty. Wow. And I said, no way. I said, come on, what are you kidding? When he said your cops in your anti-crime... He was uh, in my squad, okay. top of my squad. And I initially defended him. I said, listen, George is a, you know, he grew up in this neighborhood. These guys don't like him because he's making something of himself. And Louis told me, he said, listen, we got 28 active kites from Manhattan North Narcotics on this guy, Nova. Just explain what a kite is. A kite is information uh, elicited from a, a source, be it a... a like a, a complaint. A, right? a complaint, yeah. a confidential informant. So if I called up and I said, listen, they're dealing drugs and exhorted me, that would, they would create a kite out of it. Correct. That, and that kite would go to narcotics and it would it'd be up to them if they choose to... Take a case on it. Yeah. Start an investigation. Well, what narcotics would do is they'd lock these 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 dealers up and these users, and they would the first question they would ask them are Are you aware of any police corruption? And apparently, twenty eight people said George Nova. Wow. So uh, now I'm now put yourself in my position. I'm a supervisor. I've just become aware of corruption. What do I do? So I. I I had a duty to report corruption. So I went into my, we, at the time we had an alternative. We could either report corruption directly to a commanding officer or we could report it to IEB. I'm not calling IEB, so I reported it to my boss, Pete Pacino, Pete Pacino. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Inspector Pacino didn't do anything with that information. He was uh, transferred. He got promoted to inspector. And then we got a new guy by the name of Seymour. So, so you were a sergeant. When you said he went to uh, your boss, you didn't go to the lieutenant. And then he went to the captain. You went to the CEO of the command. Correct. All yeah. right. So, yeah. And uh, like I said, you know, he got promoted. He went to the 19th. And we got a new uh, boss by the name of uh, Seymour. And Seymour was pretty sharp. He he wanted to talk to his people. So he brought me in. We had, a, a, you know, an interview. And he... And I told him the same thing I told Pacino. Well, this just about flawed Seymour. He had no idea that I, you know, we had this guy, Nova. He's in the anti-crime team. And we get a lot of kites. We got a lot of kites on this guy. So uh, that's how it, you know. So Seymour did something with the information. Seymour reported it. And, uh, yeah, that's. But IAB already knew about him, right? Yes. Yes, they did. So, but that... Well, he's talking about 28 kites. That's 28 different complaints. Yeah. I'm just... The point I'm making, this is a bad guy. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he's out there. He's doing robberies under the, under the guise of a police officer and then selling drugs right back to these people. A bad guy. But just the way the whole checks and balance system works, too, for people out there listening, is that you had a responsibility to report 
corruption to your commanding officer. You did that twice. Yes. You went to the Captain Seymour, it was captain at the time. Yes. You reported to the to him, and he reported to IAB, which is the way things are supposed to work, right? Correct. Had you not reported that, both of you, you could have been in some shit. Right. Right. Well, that's the way it works. Yeah. That's it, it's called accountability. Yes. And uh, we're all professionals. We know our jobs, and that's what that's what we do. That's so what you're do. lucky enough to get out of the thirty uh, the three O precinct, and then you get pulled into uh, street crime, which I know that that meant a lot to you. You mentioned yeah. that in uh, episode number one uh, that it really meant a lot to you to work with those great street crop uh, street cops. Well, you know what happened. I uh, when you're in the precinct, you're, you're you're kind of isolated. You know, you don't know any, anything about the rest of the city. Rest and of the world, the outside world, everything is that in that precinct. Right. And then when you get into a, a citywide unit, you see all these resources, the talented guy, the guys from all over the city that came into this one unit. And what a vast amount of talent and honestly, hardworking guys. I mean, it was, it was, it was fortunate that you got out of that uh, situation um, in, in the 3 0. But whatever happened to those guys, I mean, just for our audience, what happened to Nova? They were all arrested. Nova got collared. And how uh, much time did he do? I don't. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know. Well, you know, we should also memorialize uh, Kevin Nannery, known as Nannery's no, Raiders. Uh, you know, because another scumbag. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a guy. A sergeant. And tell our audience what he was doing. He was. He had a sergeant. He, here he is, a sergeant. He took these young cops under his wing, and instead of teaching them the right way, he taught them how to be criminals. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a quick story. Zoli and I, would, we had a car stop on 155 and Broadway one night, and we hear shots go off down toward Riverside. So Zoli and I take a drive over, and who is it? It's Nannery's Raiders. These five or six cops, they're all sitting there drinking on the corner, 155 and Riverside. So I say, hey, fellas, time to go home. Let's go. Wrap it up. And I take off. Mm-hmm. So now you can hear the other units are responding, you know. I go around the corner, and uh, I come back around. They're still standing there drinking. So now units are showing up. And I told them, I said, get the fuck out of here now. Now they realize it's time to go, you know. Don't you know the next day, Nannery grabs me. Hey, I hear you had a problem with my guys. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It was terrible. Yeah. So it sounds like it's almost the Wild West over there in that, uh, that small little 3-0 precinct, right? It was for a while. It, it truly was for a while. You're lucky to get out of there. And you worked L- hard. Well, you, you, were doing, you were doing good work over there. You made a lot th- of let me tell you. Let me tell you something, Mark. You know, 90,000 people, and uh, for the most part, hard-working people. I mean, you want to get depressed one. You get depressed once in a while. You just drive down the Broadway in 137th Street, and you watch these people get, get off and on the, the trains going down to Manhattan to wash the windows and prepare the food and then come home at night and lock themselves into the apartment. These are, these are poor, hard-working people, and the last thing they need is to be Victimized criminalized. by cops. By, by <laughs> bad yeah, cops. Particularly by cops. Yeah. And, you know. yeah, well said. That was very well said. But now your dream came true. You're in street crime. Yeah, I had... You uh, went there as a boss. And and uh, I'll tell you, I, I brought my uh, I brought my uh, partner over from uh, the three O, and uh, that was nice of you. And we we uh, it was wonderful to work with some some terrific cops from all over the city, Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn. We've covered a lot of street crime. We've had uh, a few street crime cops here, and if Jimmy Cohn, you, you know Jimmy Cohn. 
Yeah, I know. He, w- he retired out of aviation, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah, a yeah. former street crime yeah. alumni. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, Tommy Galati and I uh, went to street crime together in uh, in 93. You were, uh, you were, you know, street crime, you're looking for guns in the street, right? That's right, yeah. Do you ever get more than one gun at a time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, you ready? Here we go. <laughs> Segue into tell that us story. It, tell us, it. for those cops that are out there, and you know, you make a gun collar, and you feel so good about yourself, or maybe you get two guns. Wow, look, you are a superstar. How many guns did you pull off the street in one day, one tour? How many? Oh no, no, no! I, you know, no, just tell us. I had a couple. It's the uh, record. It's the world. It's probably the. It's not the world record, but it might be. You never know. I had a couple of times where I, where I took a. a Couple was it ten guns? Two, no, two perps at a time. No, but I'm talking about the, oh, the you're big, talking about the big hall. <laughs> the big hall. This is the world record here, folks. Seven hundred and eighty firearms. Se- that was a busy day. Yeah. So what do you do? You run out, you grab a gun, then you come back in, you bring it in, <laughs> and then you run out and grab another. That's a busy. Even with uh, how much over? Even if you had ten hours, fifteen yeah. hours overtime, that's a long day. Well, yeah. t- tell them how you became how did this happen? Of that, yeah. How did you how did you get seven hundred and fifty guns off the street? It was uh, we were on patrol in the seven five. Two cops uh, come over the uh, the radio and they, they said, "Listen, uh, we got a burglary over here of a uh, tractor trailer." So I shoot over there. They got t- they got two kids in custody, two perps in custody. So I said, "All right, what's in the box? <laughs> 20, 20 firearms." They each, they each uh, grabbed a, a box of firearms. So I send them back to the uh, station house, and I'm watching this uh, this tractor trailer. The bill of lading said 800 guns. So we got, we recovered, we managed to recover 780 of them. Wow. But what happened is the, tra- the driver picked up this load in uh, at JFK Airport, and he was supposed to bring it up to well, LaGuardia Airport. But on the way up, he decides he's going to stop over at his girlfriend's house in the 7-5. Oh, that's a long way off. Get high. And then, so he's in the house getting high. What could go wrong? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the kids broke into the tractor. So. Wow. You think maybe somebody told him, why don't you go visit your girlfriend and park over here? <laughs> and we'll, we, you know, we'll make sure everything's okay. You get your end in it. I'll tell you, the same thing happened about a year later with, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Seven, wait, 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 don't let's gloss over this. 780 guns. Right? 780 guns. That is amazing. Off the streets. Those guns were destined to be on the streets. They were all Italian, Italian made. Different, uh, various. You, uh, uh, so I would imagine, obviously, you got an EPD for that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone got an EPD for it. <laughs> Worked out great. That's 780 EPDs. <laughs> yeah. And the boss said, it's some rack you must have. <laughs> so, man, when did that actually happen? Where were you in your career when that uh, when, you, when you made that call? I was, a, I was a sergeant in the street crime. Okay, room. good. So we, yeah. we, the timing fit. Yeah, perfectly. I just that was to me. That's such a fascinating story. You know, we, we, we were had, all trying to get like one, two guns off the street at a time to, to, to get a hole like that. The lives that you saved with that with that collar. And honest to God, the, a detective by the name of Terry McGee did the same thing a year a, a year later in the same pre in the seven, in the seven five on on the very similar circumstances. It just goes to show you these weapons are going back and forth. There's not a whole lot of security. Out there. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got you got a twelve dollar uh, an hour uh, truck driver 
traveling, you know, with 800 guns. <laughs> what was the guy's name from Goodfellas? He always falls asleep in the, tr- in the getaway car. Remember that? Anyway. So, um, so you had a good time in street crime. Had a wonderful time. Worked but uh, when he, then he, he wound up getting promoted, right? He became a lieutenant? Made lieutenant. And uh, my boss, Dick Savage, called me up and he says, listen, we're going to pounce you. We're going to bring you back to street crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And I thought, you know, I make lieutenant. Maybe I could take it easy for a while, you know. No, you're coming right back. So I went right back. It worked out fine. It worked out great. But, yeah, once you become lieutenant in street crime, you're not going out as much, are you? No, I didn't. I'd like to go out. Yeah, you got to go out. I, uh, you got to maintain your skill, man. <laughs> Stay you're sharp, not, right? You're not, you're sharp. Not, and you're not going to do it sitting me on a desk. No, that's for sure. You got to get out there. You got you to keep it. You gotta keep we used it to have a lieutenant. He was, we used to call him the TV lieutenant. When I was in the task force, yeah, yeah. every time he came back the to the, at the base, he was walking around in his slippers and he had the, the, yeah, t- yeah. the TV guy in his hand. Yeah, <laughs> the TV lieutenant. <laughs> so you weren't the TV lieutenant, no, were you? No, not at no. All. But being a lieutenant in street crime, it's it's good. You can go out. You don't have to sit on the desk. You're not as much in. You could stay in if you wanted to, though. Yeah, but not nah, not really. They want you to go. But out. you, if you were a lieutenant and you were in street crime, you're not the type of guy that sits around. That's not what these guys are made of. These are special. These are all crazy people. They want to go I, out and uh, look for guns. I was working the night that uh, Kevin Gillespie was uh, shot and killed up in uh, the Grand Concourse. Six, yeah. Yeah, street crime cop. Yeah, we had uh, Chief Anamone on, and he uh, talked to us about that case. Yes. Yeah. I, was, I, yeah, I, uh, I actually went out to uh, Long Island and uh, picked up his uh, wife and put his wife on a, uh, heli- a department helicopter at Republic Airport. And then I drove his mom up to for the uh, for our audience that is not from New York City or doesn't recall the case. Can you tell us about it? Sorry, what was that? You know, because we have audience. You know, you say the Kevin Gillespie case. What led up to him getting shot? Kevin uh, was assigned to a uh, a three man uh, uh, street crime uh, team, and uh, they encountered a a stolen vehicle that had been used in a uh, holdup earlier in the in the evening. And when they initiated the car stop, uh, a guy in the back seat of this car jumped out and uh, shot Kevin uh, in the, uh, the left shoulder, just above his vest. The bullet traveled diagonally through his uh, body and uh, passed out through his back. He was killed almost instantly. And uh, during the ensuing gun battle, uh, another uh, uh, perpetrator was uh, captured. They were all captured eventually. And one of them committed suicide in, uh, in jail. But uh, we've talked to Adamone. We had Chief Adamone in here, and then uh, that's uh, that episode. We were saving it for uh, the launch, which is coming in January. But he also goes over that story pretty. Yes, uh, very emotional. Right? Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure for you, you ought to go get his wife. That must have been horrible for you to do that. I can't imagine that. One of the toughest things on this job is making the notifications. Well, that's what it was. When I uh, went up to the house, uh, it was a garden apartment, and uh, it was about ten o'clock at night, and I knocked on the door. And uh, the kids were asleep on the uh, the, the uh, couch, and uh, I said, "Listen, Kevin's been hurt." And she said, "You know, I just saw something on the news uh, in the Bronx." And yeah, that's what it was. And she said, "Is he all right?" And uh, I didn't answer. I said, "We have to go." And uh, Nassau County was uh, terrific. They closed the throughway. Uh, they closed the uh, the expressway. I raced all the way in, uh, into the Bronx. It was, Wow. But, uh, yeah. And Kevin was a Marine, right? He was. 
for a Marine, a former housing cop. Uh, we picked him up in street crime, and uh, yeah, he was a real warrior. You know, right. a... So um, now you were a lieutenant, and you're back in street crime. How do you wind up in uh, ESU? <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, I uh, ESU for our listeners, <laughs> emergency emergency service unit. That's our uh, or SWAT. Well, in California, you call it SWAT. Don't you dare call it SWAT in New York City. <laughs> no. It's our it ESU. Can I can I say the the ESU limerick? Just because sure. I love saying this, I used to say it to the guys that when they're coming to a job, I'd say, "When a cop needs when a, no, when a civilian needs help, they call the cops. When a cop needs help, he calls ESU." <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I guarantee <laughs> yeah, you. Though, I bought that too. <laughs> ESU is great. ESU is listen phenomenal, but I, I bet you if they could, they'd rather be called SWAT. No. Absolutely no, not. no. It sounds cool. Absolutely shit. not. No. No. It was a TV show. Swat. No way. No. E-Men. That's what they call themselves. E-Men. When I was a kid, man, I always wanted to be, who's the sniper? I think it was Luca, right? We used to play SWAT. I always wanted to be the sniper. I forgot who the I think the sniper was TJ. TJ was the sniper. We always played SWAT. I'll tell you what happened. I got in an emergency. I... I just, I was like 42 years, I just turned 42. And what year uh, was this? I want to say 97. Yeah, 97. And uh, we're on patrol in a 7.5, and I grabbed this kid coming out of the pink houses one night. Uh, he's got a gun. I could see, you know, he's playing with his waist. And uh, I grabbed the kid, and it turns out this kid's stronger than I am. And he's going for the, he's pulling, trying to pull the gun out of the waist. And I'm trying to keep, keep the gun inside the waist. And I even asked him, I said, what the fuck are you doing? And then I, I, I headbutted him. And it stunned him long enough for my partner to get around the car. And we were able to capture it, you know, put the kid in cuffs. But it shook me up. I uh, I realized, you know, you're getting too old now. The street game is for the young cock diesel steroid users, <laughs> and I ain't that guy no more. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, you know, you lose a step. Yeah. All it takes is you lose a step, man, and you realize you are mortal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you got to know when to fold them, man. Hey, at least you knew how to play dirty, man. That headbutt's coming out of the WWE. That was good. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> You'll do all, anything. A you. point of desperation, <laughs> to be honest with you. My hands were busy. <laughs> that adrenaline that happens when two, with, yeah. with a physical confrontation, all that adrenaline that's happening, man. In a second. Yeah. In everything's happening so, so quick. You know, you gotta, you're thinking, you, you know that you have to save your own life there. That's a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is that when it comes to these shootings and these incidents, how quick they happen. There's not there's not a, a whole a game plan. You're not you don't have time to go back to your car and map what we're gonna do out. No, this is a split second decision that you're making. So I had some great bosses and I went to my boss. I went to a guy by the name of uh, Tiffany. Mike Tiffany. Oh, you're a great guy. Great guy. And I told him, This is what happened the other night. He said, What do you want to do? I said, I can't do it anymore. You know, I can't do it. I, I got I to gotta find something else. He said, where do you want to go? So I told him, he is you. A couple of months later, I was in the issue. God's That's honest great. truth. That's yeah, God's honest truth. It was good that he looked out for you. Monterosso, uh, yeah. Like Chief Monterosso, uh, uh, I went down to Chief, well, you know what happened. I went down to Chief Monterosso's office, and, you know, that Goomba thing. Yeah, yeah. So I figured, well, let me bring Tommy, Vol uh, Tommy Galati. <laughs> he won't say no in front of Tommy. <laughs> So uh, 
Matarasso goes in, he speaks to the chief patrol at the time. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Estevilla might have been. No. no. Hmm. Anyway, he, uh, I, got, I got to emergency service a couple of days later. Came up now, when you get to emergency service, there's a lot of stuff you got to learn now because you don't know any of this stuff, right? Right. Are you handy? No. Nah. Because nah. you're going to be the boss of these guys. They're basically going to be doing the work, but there's so much training that's going to be involved right now because you got to know, too. Well, at the time, uh, the boss uh, was uh, uh, Inspector Gianelli. He was the CEO of ESU at the time. And, I t- you know, lieutenants didn't have to attend the uh, specialized training school. You know, six months, uh, six month training course, because like you said, the cops and the sergeants do the work. But I explained to Gianelli, I said, "Listen, this is all new to me, mm-hmm. and if I if I'm going to put a guy over the edge in a building, or if I'm going to put him underwater, or if I'm going to put him through that door, I got to experience. I got to know what that feels like." Yeah, and he was good with that. He yeah, let yeah. me. He let me uh, do that six month training course. You became a big pain in the ass. They did you a favor and brought you over there, yeah. and all of a sudden you want to take away. Well, fuck this <laughs> guy. He wants to go busting training. people's balls. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> this guy you send me here. Nobody else wants to go to train. This guy wants to go to train. He's the lieutenant. <laughs> and let me ask you: Did you you had to climb to the top of the Whitestone Bridge? I went up to the Whitestone Bridge. Yeah, what, tell us what the training is. Uh, what? what Tell us all about what's the first type of training you do? Well, I got to tell you, well, the first thing is, is the heavy weapons. You know, you got to do all the heavy weapons. But then I'll tell you the worst training was the, uh, the underwater stuff. I'm not a, a, a water guy. Oh, wow. uh-huh. And they put you in the water. <laughs> we had a scuba guy on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he talked about it. Mike, it's, what was his last name? Uh, I can't think of his last name. Great guy. Yeah. Mike Carew. Mike yeah, Mike Carew. Carew. He, he was, was great, a uh, great guy. He was a scuba guy for and years. And he talked yeah. about yeah. how dangerous the water is. And yeah. it, never, I never, it never came to my mind to what think about parasites how many water. different crimes happen in the water. Well, you saw what happened a year ago when the, when the cop was shot up in the 2-5. Uh, and the water, uh, the perp threw the, uh, the firearm into the East River. Right. Mm-hmm. Those, that scuba cop scoured the bottom of that river and came up with it's that It's unbelievable gun. they find yeah. it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. The dedication, it, it, it's just simply remarkable. So you said that uh, that was the part that scared you the most. What kind of training do you have to do in that? You have to go in the water? Oh, yeah. you got to do all kinds of, you know, you got to qualify. you got to do like Navy SEAL shit? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> go that far. <laughs> do they take into account that you're a, a lieutenant? No. Or you have no. to do it? Well, a, I don't know. A little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. They bring, you know what was fun? They bring you up uh, in the helicopter. Repelling? They, they strap you up. You had to repel? Yes, I did. They threw you out? Shit. Yeah, they said, get out. <laughs> That's pretty scary. God's honest truth. We're in the helicopter. It's real noisy. Two or three guys had already jumped out. And now the guy says, don't go anywhere. That don't look right. He's looking at the rig on my chest, right? Oh, my God. So he calls the repel master over. The guy comes over. He does some quick adjustments on my, uh, on my, on my gear. And he says, all right, get out. Oh, oh shit. shit. So I jump out. I get How down. high was the helicopter? 70 feet. 70 feet up. That's high enough. What do you mean 70 feet? Yeah, 70 feet. Are you above it? the water or, or the ground? No, on the ground. You're okay. down at uh, Floyd Bennett. You could, you could deploy a, a parachute? It's no, a no, it's no, a, a, a repelling. Oh, oh, yeah, you're not doing a parachute. That's like, yeah, okay. So uh, after it's all over. What are you repelling? Down a rope or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Fuck. So I, I asked the repel That's master. I said, what would have happened if, uh, you know, if I had jumped out? He said, ah, nothing. You wouldn't have gone anywhere. You would have hung up on the... Uh, <laughs> you would have been swinging like yeah, a window yeah, washer yeah, in midtown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't going to fall. Yeah, yeah. 
But that's pretty ballsy. We were 42 years old going through that training, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I, look, I hate heights. I used to hate like going down fire escapes yeah. or coming off roofs. I didn't like. I, I did it, but I didn't like it. I was yeah. like, oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it. That reminds me of the story. Remember that story? They always just say um, about the the guy. He was uh, he was trying to. He had a, a hook to get into the military. He was going to be um, a, a trooper, right? What was it? Jump out of the trains? Paratroopers. Uh, Paratrooper. Yeah, yeah. So then he got nervous at the end, and the, the, the drill instructor's like, boy, you better jump out of that out of this plane before I fuck you right in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, how does the story go? The guy goes, uh, well, well, what happened? And he goes, did it hurt? He goes, yeah, a little at first. <laughs> <laughs> punchline <laughs> so uh so you get uh, and you were talking about uh bill brought up that you went all the way up to uh the top of the whitestone bridge yeah well at the why would you do that well it was all part of a training uh, exercise the, uh, they were doing uh now repairs. esu has to do all this stuff these oh, guys yeah. right and yet not only you have to do it you have to be proficient with it you have to know exactly well. what you're doing yeah, you you gotta second well, when you climb up, they have the, the safety belt on either side yes. of you, right? So yes. if you did fall, you'd be caught. You're not by, going that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, you know, fall? You got to rely on your there? equipment. Did you, did you slip a little no. bit and nothing no. catch you? No, no, no. You're fine? It's just, like I said, you know, you're walking up 600, 600 feet off the ground. It's uh, So how do you do it? You do it inside that pole, the pole thing that goes all the way up to the top? There's a thing yeah. up in the middle? Yeah, it's got a uh, railing. You just clip in on both sides and climb up. Now, are you a person who's naturally scared of heights? Yes, I am. <laughs> so that must have been like, what was that scary like? Shit, well, like? I'll tell you, you know, it was even scarier is uh, when they they put the rope rig on you and they tell you to go over the edge. I go over the edge. You're like, oh, wow. why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good right here. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe the equipment worked. Did, did you do it? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I did it. So I'm you got to climb the all the way up, right? No, you know, you know what they did? It was during training. They, they bring you up like 20 feet. You know, they, they bring you up on a, uh, a platform. And then they, they hook you up and they tell you, all right, go over the edge. They tell you, don't worry. The equipment's great. It's not going to fail you. It's going to hold 10,000 pounds. It's all terrific until you have to load, until you have to actually put uh -huh. your weight on yeah, that yeah, yeah. on that equipment. And uh, I remember being in the projects at, or just apartment buildings in the city, and then I, obviously they all have uh, fire escapes. And sometimes you're looking for a perp, and there's sometimes you know you can just go down the fire escape easy. But then there's ones that you have to actually have to turn your body around over that. You know, above the fire right, escape, right, right. and uh, I, I always pass on yeah. that. Like, yeah, you know me what? too. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> like that shit either. Yeah, me if too. this guy gets away, well, how it's about fine. even on housing project roofs when it's pitch dark and something tells you, wait, let me stop, and then you look, and if you would have stepped, you would have went down. Yeah, yeah. eight stories. Yeah, yeah that happened to you. That's no, what happened, no, to that happened to me. Never happened to me. Yeah, that's happened to me. I was like, oh shit, I'm glad I didn't step. You see this like a wolf Paz, P A Z. Do you remember it? it? Happened to him up in Manhattan. Yes, I do remember yeah. him. Yeah, he did the same thing. He yeah. fell through a uh, that's an right. elevator shaft. Yeah, he lived in the two O. Yeah, you're doing that again. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you went all the way up there, and you had to turn around up there in the Whitestone Bridge. Or well, no, that was uh, there was something else. You know what that was? It was a training exercise. Uh, the sergeant in three truck didn't think I would do it. You know, he thought I was a punk. Oh, so they were playing with so, you, right? That's wow. great. I love stuff so he, like he, that. That's what he did. He told me, "Hey, Lou, we're going. We're going to do a training exercise up at." Uh, what year was this? That was uh, 98. 98. 98. How long did you stay in ESU for? Until I retired in 02. 
I retired. Did you get some good pictures of this Whitestone day, the day yeah. at Whitestone? Oh, yeah. That's cool. So, uh, so you were down, you were in ESU for 9-11 then? Yes, I was. Yeah. What was that like? Awful. So you, you were, which ESU, what was your command? Truck what? what truck borough? 3. I was assigned to Truck 3 what in the Bronx. Uh, in the Bronx. In the 4-7 precinct. But uh, what had happened on 9-11 is uh, I had a, a 9 o'clock appointment at the Corporation Council. So I was parked right Again? out. Again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy's a regular, he's a regular there. <laughs> yeah. That's another story. Some fireman, some fireman claimed I beat him up. So wait a minute. So as soon as you get to, as soon as you get, you get to Corporation Council, there. Hey, what's up? You, everybody knows you don't have to sign in anymore. The coffee machine's over there. He knows where, he knows where everything is. Hey, Vic. Hey, good to see you. We don't have any diet coke today. You know all the uh, the secretaries in the office there, right? But I am. I'm, I'm sitting in front of the, the corporation council. I'm watching all the pretty girls go go to work. Are you in uniform? Or? No, I was in uniform, driving an unmarked car, and uh, I got down there early, you know, for parking. And uh, the so plane. You, you didn't do what Bill did and just take a take a, another uh, captain spot or inspector chief <laughs> no, spot. No. <laughs> Get my car towed and tell the guy the the poor uh, bucket that has to park your we coffee. covered that on one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a quite humorous. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, okay, so you get down there, you're in uniform, you're at the office watching, uh, waiting for your turn to go in there. Well, I'm sitting in the car. I'm outside. Oh, you didn't even make it up there? No, yet. I didn't. No. It's like, it was about a quarter to nine. I didn't want to get up there early. And then all of a sudden, the plane hit. And uh, I look in the, in the rearview mirror, and I see all this uh, paper and all this black smoke. So I get out of the car, and I look, and I'm like, holy Christ. So I turn the car around, and I... Now I'm a block away at, at the church in Vesey, and I grab a guy. I see all the smoke coming out of the building. I'm like, what happened? He said a plane hit the building. So, you know, I put it over the radio, and uh, I established a mobilization point. I directed all one, two, and eight truck units uh, to 85 me at church in Vesey. And uh, we initiated uh, rescue uh, operations once one truck got on the scene. Uh, a cop by the name of Roger Mack grabbed me. He says, Lou, you coming with us? I said, yeah. He says, well, put your, uh, put your uh, Scott Pack on. He saved my life. The Scott Pack is the breathing apparatus? Yeah, yeah. It's rated for, it was rated for 45 minutes. I think I went through it in about six. Wow. Because of the fact that you were breathing heavily. Oh, yeah, hyperventilating. I was scared to death. You take a lot of uh, deeper breaths. The deeper breath you take and the more frequent they are, the more you're going to go through that air. Yeah. So we got up, uh, well, what happened is we got up to the uh, mezzanine level and the, uh, the second plane hit, at which point we realized we were under attack. Bodies were falling all over the place. and uh, people, managed, people jumping out of the yeah. windows. Yeah. You can see that. You can see that from the mezzanine. I can, I can, you can hear it too, right? watch it. Yeah. Yeah. They make a thud. And uh, we finally get in the North Tower. We worked our way up to the uh, 31st floor uh, in the uh, stairwell when all of a sudden this rumble uh, we heard and it shook the building. And I got on the radio and I'm, I'm trying to raise uh, one of my cops, Kenny. No response. And that's, you know, that's a big no-no. And uh, I couldn't get all the Kenny, Kenny Winkler. About a minute later, he gets on the air and he says, uh, Lou. 
I said, Kenny, what the hell is going on down there? He says, Lou, get out of the goddamn building. The South Towers collapsed. It's gone. And if you know Kenny Winkler, Kenny is the type of guy, he's so mellow, he's so calm. And to hear that inflection of fear in him, I, uh, I knew right away we had an issue. And uh, I collected up uh, my team, established a rear guard. I made sure no one, we left no one behind. I told the firemen, we've been ordered out. And uh, they remained on the scene. We made our way down and uh, taking people with us as we went. And uh, we got down to the uh, lobby. And uh, I got a hold of Mike Curtin on a point-to-point. I said, Mike, what's your location? He says, I'm in the, I'm, in the, uh, I'm on the third floor, B Tower, B Stairwell. I said, Mike, all right, listen. He says, uh, I'm, put, I'm, I'm giving uh, air to, to a couple of firemen. So I said, Mike, I want you out. Uh, I'll meet you at the Western Vessie. All right, boss. And uh, I get outside. Less than a minute later, the, the building collapsed. I, uh, I jumped under a fire truck and uh, felt that wind come by, that hot wind and the road rumble and that truck jumping up and down. I was under a fire truck. And then all of a sudden, just black. Silence. Scary. Yeah. And I started digging with my left hand. I could feel my heart, my, uh, my breathing. I was, I, I was telling myself, don't lose control. Don't lose control. And I started digging and digging. And after a few minutes, I, uh, I saw some light. I stood up. I got out. And when I did, I could feel the fire truck, but I couldn't see it. Because it was just so thick with Yeah, it was so ash. thick, yeah. And I went to step. And I stepped on a body. And... Uh, there was fireman there, and I, I, I said, listen, here, take some air. And he's like, no, no, no. And I, 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 then I walked up uh, north on uh, West Street. I was reported missing for a while. Then he lifted me over to Staten Island Hospital. Like I said, they, uh, I just bruised the rib. But I, I, <laughs> So they, they put me in a helicopter, and uh, a friend of mine, an ESU cop, he's a, a, a registered nurse. I mean... Got by the name of John Hansen, recently uh, died as a result of 9-11 complications. He's a nurse, and he's in the uh, helicopter. He says, Vic, you're not having a heart attack. <laughs> so I said, thanks, Mike. And uh, I got back just in time in the, the afternoon to see uh, Building 7 collapse. So you went to the hospital? I guess they gave you a clean bill of health, and then he went back downtown. Staten Island Hospital, yeah, there was a, a detective sitting there, right there, and, you know, right away, name, serial uh, number, tax number. So I give him the information. I don't think twice about it. They, they contact uh, my local police department. They send a cop to my house. So now a cop knocks at the door. They're watching, you know, my wife and daughter are watching this on TV, my daughter answers the door. There's a cop there, and she screams. How old is she? 14. And she runs out of the uh, she runs out of the living room. And now my wife comes 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 running up the stairs, and she's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" 
she sees this cop in the living room. And the cop was, uh, he it was terrific from what I heard. He just said, he's good, he's fine. He said, start now in the hospital. But he realized he scared the shit out of, you know, he scared the shit out of everyone. So, uh, I got home about 9.30 that night. I took a department car, uh, illegally. And, and at that point, who gives a fuck? Yeah, right? <laughs> I called up a friend of mine. I said, listen, I need a car to get the home. The end of the world just yeah, happened. Yeah. I'm not worried about department policy. Yeah. So my wife takes the keys, and she throws them away. <laughs> she says, you're not going in. I said, I got to get, get right back. She's not going anywhere. And uh, she took me up to the hospital, and they gave me something. I was able to sleep. But, uh, yeah, I didn't go back for so a that, week. So those bruised ribs hurt. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah, you oh, can't yeah. breathe, right? No, you have time no. to take a breath. It's like, oh. Yeah, it was, a, it was probably a, it, it was a week before I was able to get back to work. Yeah. But it was awful. It was terrible. You lost a lot of coworkers that day, too, I right? lost uh, three sergeants and 11 cops. Friends of mine. A couple oh. of them were friends of mine. Good friends of mine. Mike Curtin. One of the John ESU Collins. guys I worked with, um, I worked, uh, I didn't work with him, but he was also in the Queens Task Force when I was there. <sighs> One of your ESU guys. But yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened. So now I'm sitting there, down by Stuyvesant High School, that was the mobilization point, and I'm waiting to be treated, you know, and uh, this anonymous cop walks by amongst all this confusion and chaos. And he just says, where the hell is Adamone? And I got to tell you, it really resonated with me because at a time like that, we needed a boss. Like that, yeah. We needed a leader who could bring us together. And we didn't have that. We right. had Bernie Carrick. So, anyway... Well, you know, to, to be a leader like you talk about, like Anamone, Anamone had seen everything on the job, and he'd uh, been in command of some of the biggest incidents. 93 World Trade Center, he was in command. He was you a know, cop. He was yeah, a real cop. and he took control of all those riots. He brought them under control, and that, right, he was the real leader you needed. And I'll tell you, he maintained discipline, too. I mean, there was no, you know, he didn't screw around with this guy. He loved cops, yep. and uh, he was your cop. I knew I was his cop. When he came up to street crime, when Chief Adamone came up to street crime, we were his people. Right. And he, you know, he showed us. Former street crime lieutenant, right? Terrific guy. Yep. Well, we had, we, you know, we had him on the show, and his episodes are coming out sometime in January. He was fantastic. I'm sure he's a lot of, a lot of terrific stories. With him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you did a lot of, uh, that's the 9-11 and the guns and the street crime, the shootings. Uh, but that's not what got you national recognition, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> it no. comes into. <laughs> it's not what uh you you have a lot of fans in the fire department. <laughs> well, you gain. No, I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic. But there was a show, and it was called uh, NYPD 24/7. It was on ABS, ABC. They ran, I think, maybe uh, one season, six, seven episodes. I think. Yeah. Um, and you were on one of those episodes. On two of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew for a fact because the one episode is the one that became famous. <laughs> and you were come. Well, tell us about that incident. What was that? In, what was going on? What was the beef there? 
You know, there's always been this animosity between uh, the police department and the fire department for some reason. And, you know, honestly, I, I never saw it until I put that ESU patch on my shoulder. And then all of a sudden, these firemen, I mean, they, it's like they hated you. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, during the last couple of weeks of my uh, employment. Why is that? Before I retired. Why is that? that, that it's, it's because ESU does a lot of, of the same work that the fire department does. Kind of, sort of, right? There's a lot of rappelling, there's climbing, there's hitting stuff with stuff. It all goes back about 90 years ago right. when, uh, when the, uh, the fire department uh, told, told the city, we put out fires. We don't respond to uh, industrial accidents. We don't do anything else except put water on fires. So the city had to come up with a plan, and the plan was, well, we'll have the cops do it. Emergency service was born. And uh, a lot of time, a lot of resources uh, went into uh, the development of the emergency service unit, and it shows. And the fire department's uh, sort of unit that's like ESU is uh, called rescue, right? Right. They have rescue units. Correct. Right. That's right. So that's like a small little unit inside ESU. No, no. ESU, uh, fire department has like almost oh. like an ESU unit, oh, but it's called rescue. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. And they're, they're competing with NYPD ESU for some reason. Was there a situation that also too legally that the, the city was trying to figure out who's going to handle what incidents, who's going to be in charge of the investigation? Sure. It was, well... They had policy changes that were going back and forth. You know, the police department is responsible for traffic accidents. The fire department is responsible for hazmat. You know, it, it went back and forth for, for years. And then finally, like I said, uh, they put a, a guy with a camera in the car with me. And uh, I get a job one day up in the Bronx, up off the, uh, off the Bruckner. And it was a serious motor vehicle accident. And uh, when I arrived on the scene, the fire department were there first. And they were working on a car with a, uh, a victim inside. So uh, my guys were right behind me. They, they went over to the second car, and, which apparently was a lot worse. So, you know, the damage was much more significant. And uh, they had to actually cut this guy out of the car. And uh, so now this cameraman is with me. And I want, all of a sudden, all these firemen are suddenly all around our car. And I look... And the second car that they were working on, they've abandoned with the with the victim still in it. He had a <laughs> he had a he had a neck collar on. Yeah. But you know, EMS uh, one hundred and one never abandon your patient. You know, right. so I I made the observation. I said, "Are these guys doing? Is this is this really going on?" And one of the sergeants says, "Yeah, I mean it's all on film." And I said, "Amateurs at work." Oh, my God. That caused a shitstorm, huh? Unbelievable. The uh, Uniform Firefighters Association took out a $100,000 media campaign oh, to badmouth me and uh, Dinkin, uh, excuse me, uh, Bloomberg and uh, Kelly. Now, it's a, weird, it's a weird timing with this because they filmed this show and then it didn't air for a couple of years, right? About a year. About a year and a half, yeah. But in that year, you retired. Yes, so when this show actually hits the air, you're not even on the job anymore. And man, they were looking to kick my ass. <laughs> well, thank God you weren't on the job anymore. Can you imagine if you're still on the job? Oh, they would have destroyed you. I'd have been done. The funny thing about having a camera on you, 
is that about 15 seconds after having a camera on you, you forget that you have a camera on you. Right, yeah. Right. So when these people are 24-7s following you around, when they first, when you first said that, were you even aware of what you said? Did you think about it? Did, no. did you say, I shouldn't have said that? No. I, you had it, no clue? No, not at all. It was just me being me. So then just it's a year later, you're retired now. Yes. And this episode airs, and all hell breaks loose. You mentioned um, the FDNY... They were naturally upset. They took out uh, an ad in the paper, right? What'd you say? A hundred thousand dollar ad. A hundred thousand yeah. dollar ad. All and the they papers. Were, they wanted an apology from the from, mayor, from the uh, police commissioner, from me. And uh, nah, it wasn't going to happen. Well, I mean, you were retired. Yeah, but they. Were, well, they came up to interview me uh -huh. after I was retired. And they, obviously, you apologized, right? No. That's <laughs> That was gonna happen. Were you working as a volunteer <laughs> fireman upstate at the time, or what? Uh, <laughs> no, it so wasn't they gonna. came up to you f to get an apology, and you were. What did you say? No, <laughs> I just told him. I said, you know, it, it was unfortunate. You know, it, it's just poor policy is what was taking place here, and as a result, they changed policy. Uh huh. Good. You good, know, back good. then. These firemen were taking eight-hour uh, first responder courses, and they were thinking, oh, we're EMTs now. And all they were doing is causing confusion, and right. the real EMTs were getting pissed. And uh, what happened then is uh, the city changed everything around now. In order to become a New York City fireman now, you have to be an EMT first. Right. You know, it was never like that before. So yeah, that's pretty. That makes sense. But even large-scale incidents, there really does need to be a coordinated response between Absolutely. FDNY and NYPD. And it's and it's stupid that you guys got getting fights with each other. You know, you look at the you look at the tape on uh, 9/11, and you see me uh, walk up to the uh, up to the uh, command the FDNY command post in the North Tower, and I spend several minutes trying to. Uh, initiate a conversation with the Hawaii chief who wants nothing to do with me. And it was at that point I made the decision, we're on our own, let's go up and save some lives. Uh, but uh, why is the, I mean, there shouldn't be that arrogance. That, I can't, you know, there I, shouldn't I, be that. I don't know. You know, when you think of it, it's easy to say now we know what yeah. happened, but in the hundred something years of police and fire department services in New York City, why wasn't it a rule that you never make a command uh, center in the incident location. Yeah. I'm just saying, you would think that someone would have thought of that prior to this right. horrendous situation happening, right? And apparently it, it wasn't written anywhere, right? Because they made well, their command yeah, center I mean, in, in they, the bottom of the how, building. Let's right? say you come up with new rules, though. It's a, it's a t it's the Twin Towers fell down. Right. You know, how no big is that crime scene going to be? You know, where do you put the command post? You want it to well, be not in the building, not the, in the location of the incident. Yeah, obviously. Right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, look, it's everyone 2020 is hindsight yeah, all right. the time, but sure. But uh, so it just obviously, I mean, bygones be bygones. It died down right after that, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, it did. I yeah, uh, like I said. Yeah. yeah, but you had a couple, a few other really funny things that happened in there when you pulled that guy over who was drunk and you didn't lock him up. You told him go home and you locked the keys in the car, right? Had, come on, who hasn't happened? done that? The guy was crying. He's like, oh, I want to go. No, you know what happened? And then he wound up having the EDP to go. What happened? I'll tell you. I, I had this guy, this camera guy in a car with me. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up on the, uh, the Bruckner, and this car comes by, I'm telling you, doing about six miles an hour. So I, I knew I had to get him off the road. 
And I stopped the guy, and he, I knew right away he was an, a working guy. He was out celebrating his birthday with his daughter, and yeah, he's not. A, this guy's not a criminal, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I told him, I said, "Park the car, go home." And I took his keys and I left them in the car. I locked the I locked the car door, and, and uh, he got upset. So we had to we wound up EDPing him. <laughs> but who has so a different job? Though. Bring, he had someone bring another set of keys yeah. to the scene, and he tried to drive again. Right? <laughs> but it was a different job then. Yeah, I mean, he pull over a nurse, a teacher. If they had, it went to a Christmas party, it had one extra. Right. You didn't, you're you didn't not, lock them up. You're not stopping criminals. You had your license. You look at the license. Where do they live? Ah, they, they almost made it there. All yeah, right, right. You know what? You tell your partner, you know what? Follow me. I'm going to drive their car home. And you bring them, uh, you put them in bed and you put. Uh, you take their keys, you hide it in somewhere, and you let them know the next day. You leave a note. Call me tomorrow and I'll tell you where your keys are. It's called poli community policing. That's right. But uh, yeah, it's a different, much, much different job now. That, <laughs> that same situation would never happen right now. And yeah, not even happen, especially with a cop. Yeah, it's terrible. It really is. Discretion you know, it's a different. Away. It's a different time. Everybody, everybody's got a camera, and everybody wants their uh, the ten minutes of fame. Well, also too, I mean, everything with the with the driving right now, it, the cars go faster. It's a different time. Every, you know what I'm saying? Um, they're lighter. They're not made of steel anymore. Yeah, it's just uh, the drunk driving became a way way more serious offense. Mothers against drive, drunk driving. You know, they fought. They uh, they lobbied Absolutely. for uh, for for all these different type of laws. I mean, look at the drinking. Uh, the where you have to was uh, where you got to score on the when you take the, the sobriety test. It used to be uh, we wouldn't take anybody that was less than a, a point one, and then uh, no, it's point oh eight. Yeah, yeah right. that, that's a significant right. drop. And right. you know, one time we brought a tester out with us when we were drinking off duty, mm -hmm. uh, and just to see how drunk you'd have to get. And I, I got to an eight, and I tell you, I would never drive at an at a, you know, point eight, you know, point oh eight. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that's that drunk. Yeah, believe me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we pull people over one point three. I'm glad they weren't at my house. I don't know. It was my birthday. <laughs> we always it was probably say, a two, two eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Bill celebrated yeah. a birthday. Happy birthday, Thank Bill. Thank you. It was, it was Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I don't nice. even want to. I'll, I'm eligible for Social Security, but I'm not getting it till you know. Oh, really? Years. Wow. Yeah. You better hold it together, man. I get yeah, that kiss every together, month. We're just getting started here. <laughs> I'm holding it together. So, man, what a what a remarkable career, man. What I work with some terrific guys, and it's it, it was the people that, uh, that everybody really always like. That's the shows you the type of people that we've had here. Nobody's up here taking credit. No, for it no. themselves, they always mention the other people that they work with. True, man. Honest to God, I would never do that. Chief Hartnett was all about that, right? He was yeah, all yeah, my yeah, cast yeah. of characters. My all well, he kept saying every single time is, "I still keep in touch with him to this day." Yeah, that's we right. say like that's a sign of a good person. He's got a lot of friends. If every right? single person that you know, you can still keep it still keep in contact with them. You know, yeah. I'm in contact with a couple of guys, I, uh, like Zoli. Uh -huh. He's uh, he's down in Florida. I was down there a couple of months ago, and uh, he's a big fisherman, right? He is. Yes, he is. Yeah, we're on his boat. Oh, that's great. Do we yeah. miss any shootings? Uh, I know well, we got two in at least. <laughs> well, there was a couple with uh, Z with Zoli. 
Oh, more shootings. Oh, yeah, sure. Zoli liked to lay the lid down. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Maybe we could close out two with, ti- a, with, a, with a good shooting story. <laughs> two t- at least two times that I'm aware of. He was standing on a corner doing nothing, and someone pulled up and fired a shot at him. Wow. Really? <laughs> Twice. Oh, my God. <laughs> 3-0 was Cowboy Lands, right? Yeah, they didn't like you guys. I would imagine they didn't like you guys over there. I'll tell you, Zoli and Disrupting I. Disrupting everything. We were on patrol one night in the 3-0, and... Uh, Around 138 between uh, Riverside and uh, Broadway. And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. So I jump out of the car. We stop. I jump out. I could see all the uh, smoke up by up towards Broadway. And I'm looking. I don't see anybody. And all of a sudden, I hear Zoli. Police, don't move. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And, Z- and this guy jumps into a, a building. And Zoli runs up to the building. So I run up to Zoli. And, you know... We're hitting the, uh, now, I, Zoli, bang, 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 bang. And uh, the door closes. So now we're playing, you know, musical, uh, musical bell. You were trying to hit the bells until somebody buzzes you in. Yeah. And uh, the door opens and Zoli goes to go in and I grab him by the belt. And I tell him, reload. Uh-huh. <laughs> Guy was going in with, with no. What a with place no, to work, right? Yeah. Reload. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, somebody has to have the, the wherewithal in those situations. So we get up this, we get up the rooftop. It's secure. I get on the radio and I tell him he's in this building. He's here. Now Zoli's telling me I, I shot that motherfucker. He's 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 wounded. So we call ESU. We get everyone down there. We cordon off the place. And uh, sure enough, they get up to the third floor. And this woman comes to the door. And uh, they ask her, you know, excuse me, ma'am, have you seen, has anyone come to the door? And she's shaking her head no at the same time, pointing <laughs> behind the door. <laughs> so the guy caught around. It went right through his belt. You know the tab uh, in the back of your uh, pants there? You yeah. Know, the, uh, went right through the tab there? You mean the thing that says 36 on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not my, I'm it's a 38, 38 if, if I'm lucky. <laughs> And, uh, uh, yeah, we collared the guy. It was, it was nice. And don't you know, about two hours later, that son of a bitch was standing in front of the 3-0 desk? Unbelievable. Oh, he was treated and released? Yeah. yeah. Unbe- yeah. It's unbelievable, yeah. man. Yeah, take these antibiotics. You'll be all right. Yeah, yeah no problem. <laughs> wow. Are you kidding me? That's crazy oh, was, uh, There were some bad motherfuckers in the 3-0 back then, though. I'll tell you. Some you real want... ba- and guys that came to the precinct from outside to I'll score drugs. Bad, I'll tell you a bad guy. You want to hear about a bad guy? Sure. John Cuff. Anyone know him? No. Former housing cop. We, uh, we did a, a, a car stop on uh, Riverside. There was a black guy, a white guy, and a Spanish guy. And I'm thinking to myself. It sounds like the beginning of a comedy uh, bit. It looked like a fucking <laughs> UN, you know? Like, what's going on with these three guys? And then all of a sudden, the black guy says, leans to one of his buddies and says, these motherfuckers don't know who they're playing with. And when I heard that, I should get these guys out, out, out of the car. We pull them out, and uh, we come up with the, it was at least a key. We got a couple of guns. And uh, for me, it was a routine collar, you know. All right, we got a collar. The cop goes downtown. He draws it up. He says, listen, you know who that guy was last night? No. The guy's name is John Cuff. He's a lieutenant for a guy by the name of Heatley called the Preacher. Better known as the Black Hand of Death. Well, who the cat that don't cop out when the danger all about? 
<laughs> I never I never heard that before. So the, the the main guy that this guy is a lieutenant for, what's his name? The guy's name was Clarence Heatley, better known as the, the preacher. Was uh, this Hall, is in Harlem? Black-handed yeah. death. He had drug operations in Harlem and the Bronx. He was cutting up bodies uh, in the uh, off of uh, in the basement of a place up in the Grand Concourse. And uh, yeah, we grabbed this lieutenant, Bob uh, John Cuff, and uh, he's still in jail. Bad people. Good. Yeah, that's the thing, man. You know, we're living. We're we're, uh, we're retired now, and you don't want to. To pull who the you know the, the the young bucks that are coming on the job, but I hate to say it, you need a couple of cowboys, man. You can't be so careful. Uh, you know, part of your job entails basically putting your life on the line, and uh, you know if it means going after a gun, that gun is is going to save somebody's life, maybe a cop's life. My son's a Charles. cop. My son's a cop now up in uh, Orange County, uh, New Windsor. He's a sergeant up there, and I told him, I said, listen, Brian. You pray to God you don't run across one of these guys because they're stone-cold killers. But if you do, if you do run across one of these guys, you got to be prepared. Be prepared to defend yourself, all right? Because they're going to take you out the moment they think they can. Now, when you talk about these stone-cold killers, uh, how how do you know? Because a lot of guys, they wear the paraphernalia. They they wear the street clothes. They want to have the the swag. They want to they want to project. But there's a feeling that happens to you, as an officer, a trained person. You have a sixth sense. The, the hair raises up on the back You're of your absolutely neck. Absolutely right, Mark. We we so stopped. We, we grabbed the car on uh, uh, Broadway one day, and uh, I pull this guy out, and uh, he's got a cast on his arm. I said, "What happened to your arm?" He said, "I got shot." Get on the car. <laughs> uh, before I shoot you again. <laughs> I shoot you good arm. <laughs> so Get on I, the car before I shoot you good arm. So it turns out the guy's name is Frankie Cuevas. And uh, he was looking for the guy who shot him. Of course. Why not? Yeah, and uh, yeah. so we pull a Tech 9 off of Frankie and three of his, uh, you know, a couple of his other guys got guns in the car. So we lock them all up. And uh, they're part of the Wild Cowboys. He's, yeah, again, stone cold killers. Fast forward now, a year later, okay? I'm assigned to a street crime unit, and I'm working in the 4-3. I'm up in the Bronx, and uh, we stop a car up on the, uh, up on the Bronx there, uh, service road. And my partner, Billy, uh, walks up to the driver, and all of a sudden he says, he stands up and he says, It's Frankie! <laughs> and the first thing I think, you know, I... I could see, you know, he's scared, he's upset. So I step, take a step back, I pull my gun. I'm like, who the fuck is Frankie? Uh-huh. So then I open up the door, and I still don't recognize him. But he's sitting there, he's not moving. Because he knows he don't want to get shot. And uh, it's Frankie Cuevas again. We put him out, we put him on the back, uh, the back bumper. And uh, there's this guy talking, he's running his mouth, and Cuevas turns... Says, shut the fuck up. The guy, never, the guy, his friend never said another word. I mean, these guys were just killed. You know what's funny is that because Frankie Cuevas knew who he was dealing with because he dealt with you before. Yeah, yeah. So he's looking. It's not the same type of. Co- he knows the cops that he can get sh- away with shit with. Sucker him. Tell him this, that, the other, misdirection, so he can get out of there and go home. But he knows he's not fucking around with you. No, 
But no. you know something, Vic? The cops today, they don't have the backing, uh, and they don't have the street savvy and the street experience to know what you know. And I feel sorry for them because the criminal has the upper hand on yeah, the but cops he, today. Here's the thing, Bill. They're gonna get. They're gonna learn it whether they want to or not. Because New York City is in the spot right now where we're gonna let all these people out of jail. It's over. Uh, I don't know how many people they say were coming. Eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred people are gonna be let out of jail, but no apparent reason other than just to get in time to vote. Votes. Oh. Yeah, they won votes. You know what I'm saying? Just the stupidest shit in the world. At the same time that this is going on, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, robberies going on. People that I know, and these things happen in circles. People talk. So we talked about disorder last week. And now we had this tragedy that happened in Morningside Park. I used to work in the 2-6. That Morningside Park is, is, is a park that the kids, they, they, um, they, they, they they use as a yeah, cut through. They cut, cut through yeah. because it's a five-block walk to get around the park. That's how huge this park is. And here's a girl who comes, um, who's going to college. And her parents got to get that notification, what we talked about. You know, they're already probably nervous about her to begin with. Horrible. And now they got to get that notification. And um, if you're out there and you're going about your business, we all tend to live in these bubbles. All right. And uh, we want to believe that, you know, the best in people. But trust me, we're animals to the core. If you get that hair that stands up on the back of your neck, that's letting your body know this is not a... A comfortable situation you're in. You have to start preparing either to defend yourself, to run, to do something. Okay, cops learn how to do it after a little while. Um, these cops are going to have to lo learn to do it now because the bad people they're coming out. Yeah, <laughs> and you're going to deal with. But them. there's no more street crime unit. No, uh, but you know what? Things they'll they'll put it together overnight, Bill. No, nah, not with the politicians I that are in so. charge right you, now. Yeah. They won't. You know what's know. shame about this girl, Tessa, is that that Watkins incident that we always talk about. The, yeah, the family Brian from Utah, Watkins. That yeah. changed everything at a dime. But that was already people were at a brinking point. They just needed that one more thing. And this girl's death, man. We should act on it now. Cut out this fucking reform shit before it even hits the. It, these guys get out. Let's rethink this. Give it a rethink it. What are we doing right now? Well, also too, you know, you've had twenty five years now of record low crime level in New York City. People you've got forget. an entire generation who have no idea what no it clue. is to live right. no in clue. a crime infested area. So now, you know, let the criminals out. Right. Well, the millennials think that they can take the subway at two o'clock in the morning and go unmolested because they have been. But one but, by you know, one, one robbery at a time. One bursting of the, each person's bubble. Before you know it, you're like, ah, oh, it's back. Yeah. It's back, and there's nothing. I can't walk my dog uh, three blocks, uh, five block, or, uh, you know, in the middle of the night the way I used to with my headphone, my AirPods in. No, now it's in front of my house looking at my door to make sure my doorman sees that I'm okay. I'm over here. All right, you ready to go inside? That's what happens. Your whole world changes. Yeah. No, oh, you got one of the worst mayors in, in, in America right here in New York City now. And uh, unfortunately, the residents of the city are going to see an increase in crime. Yeah. Because you, you start handcuffing these cops, and I'm telling you, crime will increase. Victims will, victims will oh, suffer. To the cops that are out there, the young bucks listening to the show, get ready, man. Your precinct may start to overnight, or if it hasn't already, become busy with radio calls and uh, and... Be careful, man. Be Violence careful. is up. Robberies are up. These you know people something? are coming back. And listen, when I worked in the 2-6, I 
Um, it was a real quiet time, I remember, because they had locked up this whole crew of drug dealers that were literally right down the block. And then like four or five years later, by the time I, by the time I um, finally got there, these people were coming out. And the whole neighborhood started changing again. Well, the Grant houses on 125, they say took that whole, that big gang yeah, thing yeah, down yeah. there, and that really... And then they started, but then they started getting. Crime. They started getting out. They yeah. started getting home, yeah. coming home from prison, and um, you know the city used to be called the jungle. And unfortunately for the young, the millennials out there, man, uh, I hate to say it, but welcome to the jungle. Yeah, it's gonna be the jungle again, man. It's coming back. Yeah, well, we and don't have you the know, sheep, we don't have the sheep dogs anymore. You know. But yeah, but well, they'll come back. They'll figure it out, and hopefully they'll figure it out quick enough. Um, and who knows, man? Maybe you'll have to gear up, put the old, uh, put the rack on again. <laughs> Get those. No, I'm, four, I'm 42. He felt some cock diesel fucking listen, gun man, runner. Listen, man. He was yeah. like, no He's way. Still, at, at 63, I don't what, know. What do, they, what do they call that thing? What do they call that thing? The board? What do you, oh, the rack. The rack. The rack, but he mentioned another word last week, the board or something. Eh? Oh, uh, well, listen, there might be thing. room on that rack for another EPD, man. <laughs> yeah. You might get another one. Just what I need. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, Vic, I want to thank you, man. I want to thank you. Uh, this Thanks, was. Paul. Thank you. This is like, we've had some really great episodes on this, on this Police Off the Cuff, but th- today we, we heard we, a bunch of shootings, okay? <laughs> we heard the, the, the record number of guns taken off the street. Um. You got You pissed off the FDNY something awful. <laughs> I don't think Bloomberg likes that, me either. That was extra. We didn't even we didn't even bargain for that. That was extra. Yeah, yeah that was great. Well, uh, I want to thank you for coming in. Thanks for great, man. You were, this was a treat thank for us, great. man. This was an honor, man. Thank you very much, and Bill. Any parting words? No, I mean, look, this is the cops that used to be on this job, and mm-hmm. you, they were. Well-educated cops, well-educated in the street. They knew what they could do. They knew what they couldn't do. I don't know if the cops now uh, have that talent anymore because they, they haven't. Do. They do. There's a lot of well, cops that came on the job. They're in the academy right now. They just got out, and this is what they dreamed of, of becoming. Cops like um, Vic Holyfield here and the, many of the other guys that we've had on here. That's that's the cop type of cop they remember, you know. Either it's their dad or their uncle, or just, you know they had it around them somehow. That's what they want to be, and oh. you can be that. You can be that. You don't have to be scared. You know, you used to go to the academy, and they used to teach you one way. And when you got to the command, they used to tell you, uh, "Okay, forget all that stuff that you learned <laughs> in the academy." Now you get to the street, and they're like, "Okay, use the stuff in the academy, and here's some more bullshit." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, you're gonna have to use it. You know, tighten up, get ready, man. Shit's yeah, gonna hit the fan. You- if you're worried about, you know, a contemporary cop, you don't have to look any further than Brian Malkin, right. the cop, uh, the anti-crime cop who was uh, shot and killed uh, about six weeks ago up in the Bronx during a struggle with a with a perp over a gun. A real warrior. In Jersey City, too? Yeah. Seals. Real warriors. Seals. A real right. warriors. They're you know, still out there. They're and cops, cons, they did a good job in, in uh, Jersey City, um, you know the cops that responded, and they, apparently they drove that freaking truck right through the front window that uh, that that Jewish supermarket there, and killed the perps right in there. Yeah, right. Look, you we know. here on Police Off the Cuff are the biggest supporters of cops everywhere. Absolutely, and that's why we're doing this show. That's right. You know? All right, man. On behalf of Police Off the Cuff, man, we're going to end the tour. This was a great one. Peace out.